as we continue our study in 1 Peter, I want us to focus for just a moment on the context. It's always important that we go back and we remember the context of the letter. Uh, Why is Peter writing what he is writing? And we have talked about this in several sessions, but remember, Peter is seeking to encourage these saints in the midst of their suffering by pointing them to the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them. Always, always, always keep that in the back of your mind as we're working through this epistle together. It is so very important that we understand what we're reading in light of the context. Last session, we focused on verses 1 and 2. We looked at election versus free will that salvation is presented in Scripture from two very distinct realms, the earthly realm and the eternal realm, the earthly realm from the perspective of man. It has a finite frame of reference that is from birth to death, and it focuses on choice. But the Bible also presents salvation from the eternal realm, the heavenly realm. It views our salvation from the perspective of God. And there is an infinite frame of reference, not rooted in time, but rooted in eternity. And obviously, it's focusing on God's elective purpose or God's choice. And that is what we were looking at last session. We close by posing the question, why in the midst of this particular letter to encourage hurting people, does Peter in verses 1 and 2 put such an emphasis on on the fact that they were chosen by God. In other words, Peter views their salvation from the eternal realm, from the heavenly realm. Why is that necessary? Why is that such an emphasis? Remember, these believers were in the midst of some hellish, horrible persecution. Now think back to what we have said as we have been building the foundation for this particular letter. These believers uh, around 64 AD were experiencing incredible persecution. There was joblessness. No one was willing to hire these believers lest they be associated with this particular sect and lose customers. If these believers happened to be tradesmen, no one would buy from them. No one would hire them for labor because, again, they did not want to find themselves associated with this particular sect. Well, if you can't work, you have no means to support yourself. And therefore, there was incredible hunger. There was no way to buy food. These precious saints were watching their children die of starvation because they had no means to purchase food by which to feed them. There was also homelessness. The Roman government would confiscate property. They would kick these precious saints out of their homes. They had nowhere to live. They were living on the streets. They were not able to feed their families. Not only that, but every time they walked down the street and saw a Roman guard, they had to wonder, is that guard coming for me? Is he going to haul me off to the Colosseum? where I might become appetizers for lions in the Colosseum for the pleasure of those sitting in the stands. So that's what these precious saints were experiencing. Now, what is the natural tendency 
of the human heart in the midst of hellish pain, in the midst of incredible suffering. How do we react when the storm strikes? How do we feel about God when we find ourselves standing in the ruin and the rubble of what used to be? Most of us begin to ask these questions. God, where are you? God, why don't you do something? God, have, have I done something wrong? God, have you walked away? Sound familiar? Have you ever been there? I know I sure have. And that's what these precious saints to whom Peter was writing were experiencing and wondering. If, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, if we've become children of God, if we're safe, heaven-bound, rather fight than switch, then why has all of this calamity started to assail us? God, we gave ourselves to you, and, and look at us now. Where are you? That is the hurt and the pain Peter is seeking to address. And he reminds the believers then, and he reminds us now, don't lose sight of this fact. We are not gods by chance. We are gods by choice. Back to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Peter is reminding these precious saints, you are not gods by chance. You are gods by choice. Let me share with you several other passages that convey this incredible truth. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he, here's the power word, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Those power words, chose, predestined. We are not gods by chance. We are gods by choice. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts in your life, Paul says he will finish in your life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, 
And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying to the church at Thessalonica? That what he began in you, he will make sure he brings to pass. Peter is trying to tell these saints that God chose them then and he will not abandon them now. You see, the most important thing in life is not our relationship with earth, but our relationship with heaven. And the God of heaven has chosen you. And because he has chosen you, he will not abandon you. No matter what happens here, he is always there. And this simple truth would have provided the same encouragement, support, and comfort to the believers then as they do to us now. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 tries to communicate this emphasis on God taking care of us, God defending us, God supporting us, and God not abandoning us. In Romans chapter 8, we pick it up in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Focusing on our security, Paul continues, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, pipe, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our security because God in his infinite love has chosen us from the foundation of the world. But not only does Peter draw them to the security of their salvation, in verse 2, he focuses on the scope of their salvation. Look back at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Notice the entirety of the Trinity is involved in the process of our salvation. Look at those three key phrases there in verse 2. The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Now, now let's unpack all three of these phrases to fully grasp the strength and the security of our salvation. 
Look at that first phrase, the foreknowledge of God the Father. The Greek word for foreknowledge is the word prognosin, from which we get our word prognosis. A prognosis is the likely likely outcome of a, a situation based on the facts. God looks into the future and determines the outcome based on the facts. That second phrase, where I want us to camp for a moment, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So the foreknowledge of God, the Father, God is involved in the process of salvation. And now Peter says the Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We look in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gifts as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Romans chapter 8. Verse 16, I hope as we've walked through the sessions together, you've noticed how closely Romans chapter 8 and what Paul wrote to the church at Rome parallels what we are seeing here in 1 Peter. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Who testifies? The Spirit testifies that we are children of God. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit in the process of salvation. John, chapter 14. We pick up John, chapter 14, in verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. In John chapter 16, John chapter 16, we pick it up in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, obviously again, Jesus speaking, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, 
will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So back to First Peter, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We've heard in these passages we've just looked at together the role of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to notice the particular word that Peter uses, sanctification, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What in the world is he talking about? When, when you look at our salvation, our salvation basically has three stages. There is our justification, there is our sanctification, and there is our glorification. Three big, long, churchy words. Justification occurs at the moment of our salvation. When we repent of our sin, we place our faith in Jesus, we make him Lord of our lives. When we ask him to come dwell within us and make us brand new from the inside out, we are justified. That means just as if we never sinned in the eyes of God. That is not the end of our salvation. That is simply the beginning of our salvation. Then at the end of our salvation, we see the word glorification. That is when we are made just like Christ. First John chapter 3 tells us, Beloved, we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. So that's justification, that's glorification, but most of life is spent in between. And that is sanctification. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, simply defined, is that process of moment by moment, day by day, being conformed to the character of for to, being conformed to the image of Christ in our character and our conduct. Who helps us with this process of sanctification? The Holy Spirit of the living God who dwells within us. So Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we are saved from the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And then that third phrase Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So, here's my question. When am I saved? It depends upon which person of the Trinity I'm asking. If I were to ask God the Father, Father, when am I saved? He would respond, you were saved when I chose you before the foundation of the world. If I were to ask God the Son, Jesus, when was I saved? He would say, you were saved when I died for you on the cross. If I were to ask God the Spirit, Holy Spirit, when was I saved? He would respond, you were saved 
on a Thursday evening at a Baptist encampment in Lynchburg, Virginia, when you recognized you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and you asked Jesus to clean clean out the crud and filth in your life and make you brand new from the inside out. Heaven wanted a relationship with us so intensely that when we came to our salvation, heaven cried out, all hands on deck. Wow. I can even say it backwards. Wow. What a powerful word of encouragement to these suffering saints then and to us today. God has not forgotten you. In fact, he has moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. Next session, we will see how seriously God takes his relationship with you and me. Until then, never forget, you need not fear what the future holds. When you know the one who holds your future in his hand. I will see you next time.